Thank you. Hello, hello. There we go. Thanks, Richard. I, I rushed this thing last Sunday and spent the first few minutes trying to sort the mic out. So there we go. Got it right today. Welcome again. And I have a whole lot of announcements to get through. I'm going to try and go very quickly, uh, but make sure you hear them. So here we go. Next Sunday, we're starting a new series called Hashtag Help. Hashtag Help! Exclamation mark. We live in an angry, crazy, distracted, offended, grumbling world, don't we? And very often those things creep into our own hearts, friends. And so we want this to be a helpful shepherding series. Not a self-help series, not a motivational talk based on Scripture, but we really want to help us because we're living in challenging times, aren't we? And just sometimes these things really do. And then so many of us carry this stuff in our hearts as well. So we really do trust that it's going to be a helpful series. Okay. Please join us on Tuesday night here at 7 p.m. for a corporate prayer meeting. I'll speak about that just now in my message as well. Thirdly, for our high schoolers and their friends, we're very excited to have our first youth night on the 29th of October. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Good. We sent out a WhatsApp ad. If you didn't get it, please let us know from the office side. There is a phone number, Evans number, that we need to just RSVP because we are providing snacks. But we're really looking forward to that. 29 October. And in the planning for the fates on the 4th of December is going well. If you want to be involved in the planning or getting things together, you've got ideas, please speak to Leon and Janine. With regards the second-hand goods and clothing and stuff that so many people are really starting to sort through. Very excited about that. Please just hear this with great love today. Please don't bring the DVD player that broke four years ago or that favorite t-shirt of yours you've worn for 25 years that has more holes than a block of Swiss cheese. Okay, please, I can tell you stories about what churches have been blessed with of the white elephant store and the bookstore, etc., etc. So please, working stuff, clean stuff, good stuff that you are happy to part with. Amen. Thank you. All right, good. And in another reminder, please, that we are still collecting non-perishable food items, hygiene products, for our Domino kitchen cupboard, which is a little bare at this stage. So if you're able to help, please do so. Um, it's always such a blessing to folk in these challenging times. And then finally, from next Sunday, we're going to be trying tea and coffee once again. Okay? So for the first service, of course, online you're drinking anyway right now. That's fine. But uh, tea and coffee in the first service will be before the service, from 7.30 a.m. to just before uh, so about five minutes before the start of the service, don't want you know, another gathering out there before the service starts, but you are obviously for the second service, so that'll be after the service. We can't do anything in between, obviously, because of the changeover of services. So for you guys, your second service, straight after the service, we'll have tea and coffee, hopefully weather weather, able to be there and outside. Okay, good. So we look forward to that. All right, there endeth the announcements. So on to the, uh, the message. And today we are ending off the series called Is This It? An End Time Series. Look, there's so much more to cover, honestly there is. But we, um, we've been working through the, the book of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and we've been looking at some, some really exciting topics actually over the last couple of weeks. Things like the rapture, tribulation we touched on, um, the, the Antichrist we looked at last week. Now as we go through this chapter 3, you might be tempted to wonder today and think, I thought this was an end time series. What's this got to do with the end times? Fear not. There's a little twist. Okay. There will be application at the end. You'll see. So I'm going to follow the, the kind of breakdown. Uh, the head is in your, in your Bible most probably. Let's begin with verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3. So what do we read? So, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. 
and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and cross perseverance. Okay, wonderful. Chapter opens with Paul asking for prayer. This was the man who always prayed for the church. Prayed for them, regularly prayed for them. Now he's saying, please pray for us, okay? And, and this was a young church. These weren't, you know, 20-something-year-old Christians, you know, veterans in the faith. So it kind of shows us Paul's humility, firstly in asking them to pray for him, and the importance of prayer. And I can tell you, any Christian leader will tell you, they, they so value prayer. I so do. I so value prayer, especially in this time that I've been through. We, we really do need prayer. And so the thing is that um, I think it's only in heaven one day hey, that we're going to see the full impact of the prayers that we've prayed. I really do. We see it. We see it. Yeah, we see evidence. Obviously, we see answered prayer. But I think only in heaven are we going to see the full weight of what God did as we asked Him in faith. But um, here's the thing. You know, sometimes you say to people, pray for your leaders. And they say, well, what must I pray? You know, I'm not really sure. So Paul gives two important topics over here that we can follow. Firstly, he says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. Okay, so in a general sense, you could say Paul's praying for fruitfulness in ministry. Every Christian leader wants, to, wants fruitfulness in ministry. But in a very specific sense, Paul is praying that the gospel would spread rapidly. So Paul's picture here is kind of on a, like an athlete. It's an athletic picture. He has a picture of a runner, that the gospel would run. It would run swiftly, and then secondly, it would be honored. He wants the gospel to be honored. That is, that people would respond by placing their faith in Jesus and following him. So kind of like the runner would be victorious. As one writer puts it, he'd be crowned in glory. Um, that the, the gospel would run and, and cross the finish line, so to speak, victoriously. All right, so that's the first thing. The second request is that the Thessalonians would pray for Paul and his team, that they would be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. A lot have commented on the order of Paul's requests. He first asked for prayer for, for the gospel, then he asked for prayer for their protection and deliverance. It's quite a challenge for us, isn't it? Because let's be honest, I'm putting myself here, so often we pray prayers for our comfort and our ease and our safety. Isn't that so? And as we know from Scripture, Paul risked his life, quite literally, for the sake of the gospel. It was seeking first the kingdom, seeking first the will of God. But he does ask, he does ask for prayer, for deliverance from these wicked and evil people, this group. Now, on his missionary journeys, in his ministry, Paul had so many opponents, both Jew and Gentile. But yeah, he uses what's called the definite article, so he's thinking of a specific group of people. And many say that it could have been in the city of Corinth, where Paul was writing this letter, there was a, a group of Jewish opponents who obviously were making his life difficult. So it could well have been this group that Paul had in mind. But he's quick to point out that ultimately the battle's not against flesh and blood, is it? It's against, it's against well, let's read it, yeah, um, in verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Paul recognizes that behind this evil and wicked group stands the evil one. And friends, we know we have an unseen enemy with demons who serve him, who stand opposed to the people of God, especially when we are trying to do the will of God and the work of God. And so um, he's, he recognizes, but at the same time, he's saying, don't be afraid. Fear not, because we have the Lord God standing with us, the Lord who is faithful, who can strengthen us and protect us. And God's protection is profound. He is the Lord Almighty. And in fact, on that word protect, R.L. Thomas writes this, Philaxe, I think that's how you say it, Philaxe, 
which is protect, is often used of military protection against a violent assault. Jesus' faithfulness provides a defense against even the touch of the enemy. Isn't that amazing? So even the enemy's most violent attack and assault, God is more than able to protect us and to deliver us from that. He will protect us. But we do need to pray. That's the thing. He's able to, but he asks us to pray. And so we can, um, as we look at this here, the two things again, fruitfulness when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel, because recognize that's a weapon of, war to, of warfare too. I'm speaking too fast. Okay, so as we preach and proclaim the gospel, the word of God, that in itself drives back darkness. And then secondly, we must call on the Lord to protect us and to deliver us ultimately from the evil one. Now we can and should do this on our own as part of our prayer lives. We can pray this as a family, but it's also important that we pray together as a church family. And we are having a corporate prayer meeting on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. where we wanted to gather and pray about some important things and specifically, especially about crime in our city at this time. Um, you know, I think we were all shocked, absolutely shocked, just to hear the news of the murder of the Enkhir Dwemini in this last week. It was an absolute act of evil. And friends, there is. There's an attack on Christian leaders. I mean, mine's been an area of my health, but there is. There is definitely an attack that comes. And so we, we do want to pray for that family and church, obviously, that are involved. We really do. We want to pray in general, obviously, against the schemes of the enemy at this time. And not only for leaders, but obviously for us and for our community. So this is an important time. Please hear my heart. Please come and join us. Okay, between 7 and 8 p.m., please don't be watching Netflix or DSTV. That can wait, all right? We need you here. Even if it's raining, please come, all right? We really do need, seriously, friends, we need as a community to be praying at a time like this. God is able, but he does want us to call on him in faith. Amen. All right, so please come and join us 7 p.m. on Tuesday night. Now, Paul's ultimate confidence is in the Lord, but he's also confident in this young church, confident that by God's grace they will do that which they've been commanded to do. And I love this in verse 5. It's such a great ending, isn't it? May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. How we need that, friends, in this time that we live in. That God would direct our hearts into the love of the Father and the perseverance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We need that. Cool. Let's look at the next section. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because it just brings it across really nicely in a helpful way. So we're going to look at verses 6 to 15 of chapter 3. And now, dear brothers and sisters... We give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Quite a powerful passage, isn't it? And uh, even more than putting on his pastoral cap, actually, this is Paul putting on an apostolic cap. He speaks with real authority. The word command is used quite a few times in this whole chapter 3, actually. 
And uh, it's almost, I mean, you can catch Paul's heart here as well as he speaks to him. This isn't um, some good suggestion, some good advice for like helpful lifestyle changes. He's speaking almost like an officer, a senior ranking officer, commanding and speaking very directly, not mincing his words, yet there's still love that comes through the love of the Father. This is almost Father heart as he speaks to them, as we'll see. Let's begin with some general points. Very importantly, please note that Paul is not referring to idle people as including those who want to work but aren't able to work. Okay, so in our time, it would be someone who is retrenched and who wants to work. Paul is not calling that person idle or someone whose business is liquidated and they, they can't find um, alternate forms of income for a period of time. That's not someone who Paul calls idle. That word unwilling up there is one you could underline. It's so important. An idle person is someone unwilling to work. So they're able to work, but they're unwilling to work. They refuse or they don't want to work. That is who Paul is addressing strongly. It's very important that we all are clear on that. Okay? And he gives them this command or rule. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Quite powerful, isn't it? Still applies today. Still applies today. In other words, there's no obligation either on the church in general or on individual Christians to feed those who are able to work but refuse or unwilling to work. You're free to do so if you want to, but you're not obliged to. You understand the distinction? Okay, it's really important. Now, we also need to be very clear on Paul's conduct here because he writes about how he worked hard and his team when they were with him. So they worked hard day and night, not only in ministry, but they also worked to earn an income. We know Paul was also a tent maker at times. He would use that. And so he was trying to get this income so that they could pay their own way, that they wouldn't be any kind of burden to the church. Now, some might jump on a verse like that and say, see, there should never be anyone supported in ministry in any way whatsoever. Go earn your own income. This is the verse to prove it. But that would be wrong for two reasons. Number one, we know that there were many times in Paul's missionary journeys, his ministry, where the church did support him or where churches would take up offerings and send it to him, which would support him. Okay? And then secondly, and very importantly in verse 9, Paul makes it so clear that as an apostle, he had the right to ask them to feed him. He had the right to be provided for. But Paul chose not to exercise that right. And the reason is because of the laziness and the idleness that he saw amongst this, this Thessalonian church. So rather than take, they decided we're not going to exercise our right. We're going to pay our own way because we want to set an example for you guys. We want to show you that you too should settle down, work, and earn a living to provide for yourselves. Important that we recognize what was motivating Paul and the team when they were previously with this church. Okay, so here's another important point, is that not only do idle people become an unnecessary burden on the church, but very often they become troublemakers and they become something of a nuisance in the Christian community. So in other words, instead of using time to be productive and fruitful, with the free time that they now have on their hands, they very often meddle, as Paul said, in the affairs of others. They interfere in that way. And so, sadly, I mean, this is still a problem in the wider church community today. It still happens, obviously. And Paul commands these people to settle down and to work. And to those who are not idle, he gives this, he gives this encouragement. He says, never get tired of doing good. Please hear that today, church, because sometimes we do. We want to throw up our hands and think, oh, enough. Never get tired. The apostle encourages of doing good. Keep on doing good. It's so important. All right? Another point to be clear on. Don't confuse rest with idleness, okay? So important that we, that we don't make that muddle. So even the Lord God Almighty in creation, the Father worked for six days and rested 
on the seventh day. What's that? 14 to 15 percent rest, as it were, of God's time in terms of work, in terms of work time, okay? Was taken for rest. And again, there's a place for biblical rest. I preach to myself, even as I say this to you, okay? But rest is not the same as being idle, where time that you should be fruitful or productive, you're not. Okay, there's a big difference between the two. All right, are we all clear? Very quiet there, you can, okay? Good. And then finally, Paul is clear on how we should treat those who are idle in the Christian community. And what he says is, don't have any association, it's disassociation. It's not full-on excommunication from the church, it's to disassociate, to stay away from, because the objective is to shame them. Now, it sounds a bit harsh, but in those times, in those communities, very often to shame someone would be quite a powerful thing to try to change them. And that's the heart behind this. It's not to punish these guys. It's to try and get them to turn from their behavior so they wouldn't be idle, but that they would work and earn a living and be productive and fruitful. And Paul says here, don't treat them as enemies. Warn them as you would brothers and sisters, because that's who they are. They're still your brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, so we got that. So some things to clear the way. Now, here comes the twist. So as I look across the church, I'm talking about our church, I don't believe this kind of idleness is a problem or a big issue as it was back then. If I see people in employment, business people in our church, um, professionals, housewives, you name it, people are working hard in our church. I really believe that. I'm not just saying that to buddy up. I honestly do. Even our retired people are busy. Okay, So it looks like people are working hard. But, but... There's another danger, friends, and I'm going to call it spiritual idleness. There's a warning that comes through in this. We've got to be so careful that we don't slip into something called spiritual idleness. And I want to open that up a bit more, okay? So, I mean, I said to you at the front, you might be wondering, what's this chapter got to do with end time? So, you're about to see, all right? Let's ask ourselves, what was the reason why these Thessalonians, some of them, not all, some of them, were idle or lazy? John Stott writes this. He says, Although some commentators have held that they were temperamentally lazy and sponging on the generous members of the church, and others that they had imbibed the Greek disdain for manual labor, a majority consider that it was their belief in the eminence of the parousia which had led them to give up their job. All right? What he's saying there, some big words there, what he's saying is, it could come down to good old-fashioned laziness. It's a possibility, socioeconomic factors. Could have been that they had accepted the Greek attitude where the Greeks would turn up their noses to any form of manual labor. It could have been those things. But most commentators actually believe that um, it was the, the expectancy, if you like, the return of Jesus that in, in the strangest way possible that actually, you think it's counterintuitive, but I'll show you now, that actually had led to these people becoming idle. So I can remember, I think I read it somewhere. I don't think it was a teaching. I think I read it somewhere where someone had explained that it could have been like this, okay? Where these guys... We're literally sitting on the roofs of their homes, watching the sky for the return of Jesus. And where they'd say to everyone else, we're so spiritual, we're waiting for the Lord's return, so you take care of us while we sit here watching the skies where he's returned. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this. It doesn't express this as, as, uh, as clearly as that, but it could have been something like that. Okay? It looked spiritual, but actually it was just a disguise for laziness and idleness. Okay? And this is the great challenge that we face when it comes to things like the end times. There's almost this catch because... On the one hand, we must be excited and expectant for the return of Jesus. There is almost a sense of keeping an eye on the sky, so to speak. We must be ready for the return of the King. Um, and the Spirit and the Bride say, come Lord Jesus. And if we look at a couple of verses like these, Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we live. Citizenship in heaven. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 in the, in the New Living Translation says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Fix your thoughts on things above, on things eternal, not just in this lifetime. So on the one hand, this is how we're supposed to live, okay? But friends, there's a danger, as that old expression goes, that we can become so heavenly-minded, we know earthly good. Now, some people don't like that expression, but can I just say, that is almost exactly what was happening here, is that these Thessalonians that become so heavenly-minded, so to speak, they no longer were too much earthly good, and they were actually becoming a burden to the guys who were trying to count for Jesus. In other words, we've got to be careful that we don't get so fixated on that which is to come, that we stop living our faith and counting for Jesus in the today and the year and now. If you look around you, you've got not a whole lot of corpses, you've got a whole lot of living, breathing Christians. Amen? And the reason why we are and not yet with Jesus is because there's still purpose for each and every one of our lives. That's why we're still here and not home with the Lord. Amen? Okay. So let me give you a little illustration, okay? We've got the four elders in the church. Uh, two of them are away today. So let's say Grant, myself, Leon, and Johnny. We give ourselves every available hour to studying the Word of God, okay? And so we spend our time debating big spiritual matters. So like with the end times, is it pre, mid, or post-tribulationism? What's the Antichrist going to look like? Is the vaccine evil or isn't it evil? These kind of things. We, we consider things like the big questions. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Are the Armenians right or the Calvinists right? So this is what we do. We debate Scripture. We pull Scripture apart. We study it. It's sorry. But here's the thing, is that you never, ever see us as an eldership team. Never, ever, okay? We don't communicate with you. We don't even pray for you. When you come here on a Sunday, we're not here. No, we're locked away in our room somewhere, pulling apart Scripture, considering these great, hefty questions as we puff away on our pipes. Just a joke, okay? We only do that once a week. No, I'm joking. No, no, okay. Don't have no pipes. That's a very much an academic kind. Anyway, okay. Won't go there. So... This is my question to you. Okay, it sounds very noble, doesn't it? It does. But in terms of our impact as an eldership team, what kind of impact would we have on you as a church? Answer? Nothing. Nothing at all. As noble as it sounds, friends, insofar as you're concerned and the world around us, we would be utterly, completely useless to you. That's the reality. That's what it is. Joyce Meyer writes this. She's speaking about or commenting on Mark chapter 11 where Jesus curses the fig tree. This is just part of a quote. It says, If our lives revolve around the church, but we have no fruit, we are not living our faith. If we do not have time to help anyone else or even show kindness, we are like the fig tree with leaves, but no fruit. If we have leaves, we need to also have fruit. I can remember teaching somewhere in my past where um, someone said this. They said, a tree doesn't bear fruit for itself. A tree bears fruit for others, for the blessing of others. You know, you don't walk through an apple orchard and there, you know, you know, the apple tree plucks an apple and munches away while it says, good day, mate, you know, kind of thing. Or a vineyard where you've got bunches of grapes, you know, just dangling there and the vine's just eating its own grapes. Don't find that, do you? The, the fruit is there for the benefit and blessing of insects and birds and animals and God's image bearers, you and me. Now, some of the clever amongst you, I only have standard seven biology, grade nine biology. So some of you might say, yeah, well, some of the fruit falls to the ground and it can provide nutrients ultimately that will be good for the tree. That's true. And I'm not saying to you that we never blessed, friends, by the fruit that we bear for God in our lives. So, for example, if you're generous, 
The Bible makes it clear. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So you are going to be blessed by the fruit. But the point is the fruit is not there primarily for me. There's fruit in Greg's life. It's not primarily for Greg. It's for the blessing of others to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay, that's the important distinction that we need to make. So here's the thing, is that uh, there can be this thing which I'm calling spiritual idleness, where we're being lazy, and actually we're not seeing true fruit in our lives, okay? And we can be so skillful sometimes at disguising it with excuses that can look very noble and spiritual, but actually they are excuses, and they're, not, they're actually keeping us from being truly fruitful as we should be. So take something like the Word of God, and please hear what I'm not saying. It's vital that we spend time reading and studying the Word of God. It really is. I'm not saying you mustn't. Not at all. But if I had to say to you, you need help with something, I'm, well, no, sorry, I'm too busy reading and studying the Word of God. Honestly, the question you'd have to ask me is, okay, well, is the Word of God reading you? It's great that you're reading the Word of God, but is it reading you? Because the Spirit of God should be speaking through the Word to transform me into greater Christ-likeness, which is going to lead me to produce the fruit that God is calling me to produce. Amen. In other words, it's not just getting puffed up with knowledge about Scripture. It's actually living out what I read in the Word of God by the grace and power of the Spirit. Amen. Prayer, we should be praying every day. But I challenge myself as I ask you this. How much of our prayer life is devoted to ourselves and our immediate family, our immediate loved ones? Friends, we need to be praying beyond for Christians in our community, in our church community, for leaders, for the church, for people in our community, for salvations, for kingdom, kingdom issues and matters. I mean, I, I could stand here all day. And the point is, friends, it's also so great to be praying beyond ourselves. Isn't that so? So often we can get so caught up just with what we are going through. The warning today is against spiritual idleness, where we can look very busy spiritually and, and busy with these noble things, but actually they are keeping us from true fruitfulness and uh, God-glorifying fruit. Again, this isn't, please hear what I'm not saying, this isn't simply just an end times matter, but it can be. It can be something, uh, I'll give you an example in just a moment of where it can keep us from that. So when we talk about fruit, we're not only talking about the big things like sharing the gospel or sharing your testimony with someone or sharing scripture with someone and helping someone to understand. Those are vitally important. They certainly are. But it can be simple acts of kindness, friends. It can be just those loving, helpful deeds that can make a difference to someone and result in thanksgiving to God. Uh, Laurie was down in the earlier service, and I used her as an example. I mean, the meals that were provided and the help that was provided in the time that Laurie and Leah had COVID and I was staying with my folks, I can't tell you what a tremendous, massive, in fact, blessing that was to us as a family. So, because again, thank you to everyone who helped over the, that time. That's something, friends, which we can all do. Isn't that so? In some way, just to reach out to help, to bless in practical ways. COVID has made it more challenging, but not impossible. I think that's the thing we've got to accept. It is a little harder, but not impossible. So again, I want to remind you, the reason why you are still sitting here today is because God has purpose for your life. You're not done yet. There are still those good works which the Father has prepared in advance for you. So again, I, I want to just caution you against that spiritual idleness in all its various shapes and forms. And um, I said I'd come back to the end times thing. When it comes to the end times, it's this tension we live with. We want to be excited, expectant for Jesus' return. We want to have our, our mind set on things above. Absolutely. We recognize that we just, we're like aliens, as the, as, as the word says, just non-citizens here on earth. Our true citizenship is in heaven. That's the one side of tension. The other side is that we don't stop living as we wait for Jesus' return. We, we are still fruitful. We are still serving the King in that which the Father has prepared for us. That's the tension that we need to live with. 
And even some of the stuff, friends, you know, just, okay, maybe I shouldn't say this. I mean, Facebook's operating as an, okay, so I find I can get so consumed and sidetracked on Facebook, so I just don't really go there. I just, you know. But it's so too, friends, it can happen with things around end times. We can get so caught up in debates and theories and arguments online, social media, that again, it can be time consuming, and we've got to watch things like that. Not only that, but things like that that can actually stop us and keep us from bearing the true fruit that God is calling us to produce. So by the grace and the power, the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, May we have branches that don't just have lots of leaves on, but that are heavy with God-glorifying fruit, fruit that shows us to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. That would be my prayer, and we'll be right at the end. Let's end off with the benediction, the last three verses of this chapter. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So if you look at verse 17, it seems Paul would often have a scribe who'd be writing for him. And at some point, Paul would take the letter and his own writing, he'd sign it off. That was an indication. It was genuine. It wasn't a forgery, a fake, false teaching. This was really from Paul himself. Okay? But there are three things that he speaks over this church, which we so desperately need in this time we live and as we look ahead to the future. The first is peace. The Lord of peace, Jesus, the Prince of peace himself, give you peace at all times in every way. Friends, how much we need that, don't we? In all times, in every way that we would experience the peace of God in our lives. So, so vital. The second thing, the Lord be with you all. That's the presence of God that we would experience and know the presence of God with us. We would hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to us and guiding us. And then thirdly, Paul would often end these letters this way. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We need the undeserved, the unmerited, special favor of God, not just for our salvation, but for everyday living to the glory of God. Isn't that so? So I want to pray this with you now. And uh, let's, let's just bow our heads as we pray. And um, I just want to begin today, just perhaps as you join us today or joining us online or watching this later, we can only have pe- the peace of God and experience the peace of God when we have peace with God. And I want to ask you if that's true of you today. Have you made peace with God? That's only possible through the one mediator, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So many people are trying to live a good life, trying to live a life that's good enough to find their way to God. But Jesus claimed exclusivity. There is only one way to the Father and to eternity with Him, and that's through Jesus Himself and what He has done for us, what He has accomplished for us. And so I want to invite you today. If you want to make peace with God today, if you want your life to be right with God, that means turning in faith to Jesus, putting your faith in Him and what He has already done for you. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Mean it with all of your heart as you pray. And we begin by calling on Jesus and saying, Jesus Christ, I call on you to save me. I confess, God, that I've sinned against you in so many ways. Today I ask you, to forgive me for all of my sin. I turn away from the life that I've been living and to follow you, Jesus Christ. As I do that now, I surrender my life to you. I say, I'm yours, Jesus. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you open your word, the Bible, to me and give me understanding 
And would you give me grace to follow you all the days of my life? I pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Just as we're in this place of prayer, I want to encourage you today. If you prayed that prayer, it's absolutely vital that you tell other mature Christians and that you are part of a church, whether this one or another local church, that worships Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I really, if we can help in any way, please let us know. We would love to support you and encourage you and, and journey with you because that's what this is. This is a journey. This is the greatest adventure we live. Not just a prayer we pray once and then go back. This is new life. This is new creation in Jesus Christ. So thank you for praying with us today. And I want to continue to pray now. Just, uh, I want to pray into that area of fruitfulness. And during worship today, I was just reminded again that the Father is the vine dresser. He comes to cut away things in our lives that are causing us to be less fruitful for Him. And without wanting to turn this into some exercise where you're looking for things that aren't there, I just want to give the Spirit of God a moment today to speak to you. It's always better if we are part of that process rather than almost having the Father having to step in and to deal with something. He wants us to be willing and to, to be submitted and, and, and surrender to give things over that we recognize are holding us back. So if you recognize anything, if God is showing something to you now, and I believe you don't have to go searching for it, if there's something on your heart that you know, now I'm not going to name things. I actually feel not to almost even put things in your head. I, I want to just give it totally to the Holy Spirit, just to say, Lord, would you speak to us? If there are things in our lives that are keeping us from being fruitful as we are called to be, and we are aware of them now. Lord, we want it today, as, as hard as it is sometimes for us to let go and to, and to expose the branches to be pruned, Lord, we recognize these are things, these are dead things in our lives and things that are draining us and, and keeping us from being as fruitful as we should be. So we surrender them to you today. We ask, Father, that you would help us now as you just clip these things off. Help us, Lord, to be able to let go of these things or whatever they might be. And Father, even as we do, our faith and confidence is that you would cause us to be more fruitful to your glory. That's what we pray for today, Lord. We ask for in Jesus' name. So we thank you for that now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as a church and as the Christians who make up this church, the living stones, I want to pray, Lord, we would be such a fruitful people. The branches of our lives, not just full of leaves, but hanging heavy with fruit that shows us to be your disciples, Jesus, and brings glory and gratitude to you, Father God. We pray this, Lord. Help us to be open, even for those simple acts of kindness, those seemingly small things which can be so important to someone else, both within our Christian community and even, Lord, for those who are outside of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And then, Father, I want to speak these three vitally important things over us that Paul ends his letter with. We need this, Lord, as much as they did. We need this now and as we look ahead to the future. Firstly, Prince of Peace, King Jesus, would you fill us with your peace? I pray, Lord, if there's any area of our lives where your peace, your peace is not ruling and reigning, I pray now for an outpouring of peace in Jesus' name. I pray your peace would overwhelm fear and doubt and anxiety, Lord God. Thank you that your peace would come flooding in even now as we look to you and look confidently upon you, Lord. As we sang earlier today, our trust is in you, Lord God. Prince of peace, in every way at all times, fill us with your peace. We pray this now. And Lord, like Moses, we don't want to move forward without your presence. We pray for such a tangible sense, an awareness of your presence with us. Ears that are in tune to you, Spirit of God. Eyes that can see, hearts that are surrendered. And, and just know that you are God with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us, God in us. Thank you for your presence, Lord. And then we pray for your grace. It's not just amazing grace to save us. It's amazing grace to take us all the way to that finish line, all the way into eternity with you. 
And so we pray, Lord, for that unmerited, undeserved, special favor of you, Lord God, upon our lives. Abundant grace, overflowing grace, grace that even others would take note of and recognize that it is indeed the hand of God upon us. We pray this, Lord, and especially grace for that which you're calling us to do. We're still here, Lord, breathing and living on planet Earth because you have purpose for our lives. You still have work for us to do. Oh God, would you lead us by the power of your Spirit and give us great grace to fulfill all that you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask, we pray all of us now. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. God bless you guys. That's the end of Is This It? There's so much more we could look at, but we are landing this one, and we're looking forward to starting the new series next week. So God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for joining us online today as well, and uh, have an amazing week. Amen. Remember, next week you can have coffee afterwards. All right, so, and tea. Good. All right, bless you. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you.